What is up, Asymmetry? How are you doing? Really enjoyed Rodney Clemens' visit to Mirai. We've been trying to get him to Mirai for a few years now to really dissect and discuss his knowledge of boxwoods. But I was particularly excited to podcast with Rodney in person because as far as soulful bonsai practitioners, uh, I don't I don't know that I've had the experience of meeting somebody that that quite embodies a soulful approach to bonsai in the way Rodney and his and his wife Charlie do. And I've had the pleasure of visiting their garden uh, and getting to know Rodney over the years amongst professional endeavors. But just you know, sitting down and getting to getting to talk and and particularly getting to talk about the patina of a garden and the the creation of a bonsai life and lifestyle was was really really interesting and and sort of filled me filled my soul with goodness um so hopefully it does the same for you uh, as you hear rodney both dissect boxwood further but but i think more than that just really share a lot about what's contributed to his his bonsai life and his bonsai world sit back relax and enjoy rodney clemens everybody oh man is that chair comfortable yeah pretty much yeah <sighs> Have you sat down all day or have you just been standing grinding on that boxwood? All day long. All day. <laughs> Do you love it? Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like bonsai practitioners, people ask them if they like, you know, if they, if they love it. And, and I almost feel a responsibility to be like, I love it. I love it. I love the pain. <laughs> yeah, I actually do. I you mean, do? It gets into a, a period with boxwoods where... You got to think, you got to look, but there's this repetition that you just get on. And so when I get broken, like doing the um, cleaning for on the video and everything, it really takes me a while to get back. And if I'm tired, like when you got here, I was, I was like trying to get back in the zone. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. So yeah. Tomorrow morning. will go good. You'll be back. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Did you, did you and Jesus have a talk about the information you wanted to fill in? No, not really. No. I guess. Okay. We, you know, um, he he seemed pleased with everything, and we took a few things twice and everything, but mm-hmm. mostly he seemed fairly pleased, shaking his head yes. And well, stuff. I just got so much out of last night's live stream, but when you came to me this morning and you said, "Hey, I, I got more," I I just thought, "Oh, we'll film it," but we might as well just talk about it now. The, sure. There, there's 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 pieces that are left unaddressed that we need to discuss. Yes. I mean, one of them, um, do you want me to tell you ahead of time or, or are we already on? Oh, we're already going, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We did this to me last time. Yeah, we're halfway we get, into we it. We got you. Yeah, we got you. Well, you know, one of the important things is just um, what people overlook with boxwoods is how active they are mm. all year long. And so you go through the period in the spring and everything with watering that you you realize they're drinking a lot of water. They're growing. Um, that's that's obvious. They slow down a little bit in the summer, then they pick back up in the fall. But it's one of those trees that doesn't stop during the winter time, and it it drinks more than most trees do. So during the winter, people that put them into a cold storage area or put them in the background, um, I see a lot that um, die from that or get really. Um, week from it really and so i recommend people putting them up front because they drink more than anything during the winter in my collection yeah anyway yeah 
So the tenant seats, forget about them. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you, um, do you cold shelter your trees? Um, we, we do in a very abstract way. A lot of the bigger ones and everything stay out. We have the ability to. Oh, what's up, Troy? Oh, gotcha. goodbye. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right. That's okay. right. Thanks, Troy. So um, we do winterize, and um, we we have everything situated. So like the bigger things that I've gotten to where I don't move any longer, um, we we have the ability to put bottom heat under them and wrap the pots in a, a freeze cloth that will protect them. Mm-hmm. So we are protecting those. Some of the older, especially deciduous trees, we're moving into a greenhouse that we keep cold. If I could air condition it, I would, but mm-hmm. we, we keep it all opened up and everything until we get to really cold weather. We're, we're fine until, you know, 25, 24, something like that. Then we start shutting down. Um, very seldom heat it, but we have that ability several different ways in case power goes out and gas and all that stuff. Got We've got different di- mechanisms in double, place. Double redundancy nuclear oh, reactor gosh, kind of yeah. vibe. Once a Boy Scout, always one. But the the beauty of it is really in Atlanta, our roller coaster temperatures in the spring. It goes up, down. We can have 75 degrees and 20 that night. So, you know, you've got that. Then you've got um, frost and everything. A lot of the maples, they get started, they're kicking, and you have a heavy frost on them, and it can, you know, set them back. If not, you know, kill them. Yeah. So we have that ability when we – repot got a place to put it to where you know we can control everything yeah and that's that's what it is is being a control freak with your trees but yeah yeah i i had no idea that atlanta got as cold as you talk about it getting it sounds like it can get real cold like real real cold it can get real cold and you just don't know when it's gonna it doesn't do it every year some years we have maybe three or four nights in the 20s but but sometimes it can get really cold and it does it in a very awkward time because you know one time it was late april all the even the native trees that should know better were all leafed out and we had 20 degrees that came in and Mm. you know we had burned oaks and stuff like that so yeah you know you just never know but um you got to be prepared for it i've got caught one time with my pants down with winterizing and um and that's the time it went to 12 below at our place and it just you know, I lost half my collection easily. Oh, I was and, just going to ask you if you've ever been been really hammered. That's, oof. Yeah. How many uh, years ago was that? It was in, um, it's been a while. It was in 82. 82. 1982, yeah. And uh, taught me a lesson. Luckily, the, the trees have improved since then. And some of the more important ones I'd already taken care of and were loving a little bit more, and that, that paid off. But they're still... Way too many deaths. Is that is that the coldest that it's ever gotten for you? Twelve below. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and to drop below zero in Atlanta seems abnormal, or um, we can get into it is abnormal. There's okay. no way around that. But we we also can get into you know the single digits would be more, and that's even rare. So you know we'll get into the teens. That's considered real cold and everything. But you know the trees can handle that pretty much if they mm-hmm. if you've done your job and you're sitting on the ground 
that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you do notice a difference setting them on the ground versus on the bench. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the ground heat just really protects a lot. Um, yeah, we found we found that to be monumental. But the problem in the Pacific Northwest with putting everything on the ground, uh, or at least my my suspicions are that th- there is a dampness, there is a lack of sunlight in this garden because the benches then become a shade structure uh, when we put them on the ground, and and uh, the the moisture level, the splatter. We'll notice that when we set trees on the ground here, that the lowest branches will get fungal issues. You know, it makes a lot of sense. And and then you also have um, Atlanta's raining all the time. Portland, I guess, does too. But um, the pots don't drain as well because the ventilation's not there. Yeah, They're exactly. not sitting up. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's so I, I had when I first started Mirai, everything went on the ground the the first time it froze mm-hmm. and i just assumed they were going to be there till the following spring and, and per, sort of progressively over the past 11 years uh, we've had some very very severe winters um that have been very cold and problematic um but unless i get unless i'm going to drop below 20 degrees i try to leave them on the benches because it's such a physical feat to to set this garden down and then pick it back up yeah it's it's terrible and you don't have small trees either no and and really i'm overreacting to it all from one instant you Uh, know and and that i am i i know that mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's hard to you know to go back and and it's just really hard but at the same time you know that's the beauty of age you get to where you um you know, you have to start rethinking what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, physically, I can't do what I did 10 years ago even. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm leaving the bigger the trees. I'm not going to let them go. I'm, I love big trees. So we got to work around it. And the bottom heat's been great when it gets really cold. We can slip that in. And What is it? Is it like a, a single, a single like flat propagation mat or something like that? <laughs> it's it's really um a very inexpensive heating pad that doesn't have a thermostat on it so we just can turn it on and and work it that way and then turn it off i you know when you get in that situation i'm up all night just yeah. kind of checking on everything anyway so um, i go out there and I, I just turn it on and turn it off to where i control the temperature as best i can and yeah. it's, it becomes a game in a sense but um but that's that's kind of what we do. We you know I want it. The tops can get really cold. There's no problem with that. But I'm just trying to kind of protect the tree by protecting the roots. Yeah. Now, uh, is Charlie as is Charlie as obsessive or compulsive about the trees as you are? We both have our um, tendencies. Yes, maybe in different ways. Uh-huh. So together, we're really bad. <laughs> so yeah, we we both do. We both both have that. So we fit together well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. She's not trying to go. You dummy! What are you doing? Yeah, and she's she understands. When you guys are you're 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 a fifty fifty team. You're here. She's back at the garden taking care of things. But. Right. Uh, but it's pretty interesting how how you've talked about your collaboration together, your container selection process, and and really bouncing ideas off each other. That's got to be really that's got to be really pretty special. It, it's a lot of fun for me because you know I'll have 
really strange ideas sometimes, and she either will tone it down or just go, yeah, let's mm-hmm. do it. And mm-hmm. th- that's really helpful. And sometimes I have to buck that and do something I really want to do. And half of that time, it's probably a, not a good idea to have done it. But She reins you in. Yeah. Does so. she have Does she have ten- tendencies or does she need to get wild from time to time doing bonsai as well? Does she do that? Uh-huh. She's a little bit more... Um, toned down with her approach to everything mm-hmm. than I am. And her, her um, practice is a little calmer. It, it is a little calmer. I'm, you know, I'm very, um, I, I just want to, um, she says I have no impulse control. <laughs> and so, but that's the strength, right? Yeah. I definitely think it can be. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So, um, I tell myself that anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is how, this is the only way I can do it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I want to push the envelope. She really, she's able to um, kind of watch what I do and sort of um, pace herself a little differently. Mm-hmm. But um, wow, she's got her own look, and you can, at least I can, when I go through the garden, I, I know what she's touched, and mm-hmm. she knows what I've touched. And but it's fun. We we work on. It's not like these are your trees; these are my trees. We we each have a few of those that predated the relationship but still um we work on each other's trees a lot so. wow wow what what is a what does a average day in your garden look like then because this is uh i just have to say and you I, you know this when i visited atlanta i don't know when that was 2011 2012 maybe yeah I, i'm not sure yeah and uh and walking into your garden was the first time I'd seen a garden with that kind of soul or recognized. No, oh, thank you. Because because Japan was such a homogenous, not not a homogenous. I mean, each garden had its own nuances and flavor and aesthetic. But and I continue to reference Mike Hagedorn's description of bonsai in Japan as they seem Japanese artists seem to be working from the same artist statement, whereas in North America. Everybody's writing their own artist statement. And uh, and so I hadn't seen a garden that had the kind of freedom mm-hmm. uh, that was aged and patinaed and had been through a lot of intentional decision-making over the course of time that wasn't Japanese. I had right. not seen that until I visited your place. And... Uh, that means a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, Mirai Mirai is is in in process right now. But you're talking about having a major cold event in 1982 that eradicated half your collection. I was born in 1981. Uh huh. So so that garden that you've been in has been has been amassing a lot of love for a very yeah. long time. Now I was not there in '82. We we moved into that. Um, um, place in ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. Still, you're talking about twenty seven years, right? So that yeah. that's a long time. I've been here for eleven. Uh huh. Yeah. That the, the I can't wait to see Mirai twenty six years later. I think it's I think it's really going to be, gonna be special. outstanding. It's already special. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate it, but yeah. that that kind of that kind of age and 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 love. Mm-hmm. But what's a what's an average day for you when you're there? I, I, students and all that stuff, okay, unless that's a daily basis. But what 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 do you do as a bonsai professional? 
Well, every day is a little different. You know, I, I plan it out what I'm going to be doing sort of the day I used to. I'd plan out what the next day was going to be, and I'd wake up, and it was something totally different would take place. But I, I don't really make plans in the sense because they never come true anyway. I'm always just going out and, and playing. And, and um, so, you know, I'll go out, and um, every day is about watering. Every day is about um, plant care. The big deal to me is um, really taking care of the plants and, and making them really, really healthy. I find the healthier the plant is, the happier it is, the less problems I have with mm-hmm. bugs, fungus, um, really everything. Yeah. So, um, but there's no average day. I don't do the same thing every day most times. Now, if I'm focused on one project like pruning a Kingsville, one big one or something like that, you know, I'm I'm working on that, so I've I've set my day up what I'm going to eat in the morning, and then I'm, we've got lunch planned and all that. Just because I get in a monotonous zone that I want to stay in, that where I'm just doing the same thing over and over again without um, getting tired. And and the big deal on something like a Kingsville, people start cutting corners. You know, rather than prune, take a whole branch off and stuff. And it's really best to. Um, you know, open it up enough to where you're seeing that structure change before you um, become lazy. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. But you know, we're cleaning up. We've we're we've got some help now for the first time, which makes a lot of difference on some of the weeding and all that. But you know, it's we're nursery people, so we're we're always just taking care of plants. Yeah, yeah. How many trees do you guys take care of there? Well, why would you count that? guesstimation no not really i mean there was um one time i moved the kingsvilles and so what do you do you're moving two trees at a time i I did count at that point Mm -hmm. and with the kingsvilles that were in that one zone there were 1200 of them yeah yeah so you know that's why you don't count you know but you're the kingsvilles you're you're growing those as as more like allowing them to mature as nursery stock where um you go through a period with the kingsvilles to where we've got some that are very old trees that we didn't start they were they predated um my involvement in bonsai even and so they're very old we've been collecting them from here and there over the period of time and they they're in mica pots and they've been worked as bonsai every so often but the beauty of a kingsville you can let them go for years and let them do their own thing and then then you relate to it you you go in you see what the kingsville's offered you mm-hmm. and uh, so the whole thing's not to mess it up but just go with its art how it's growing and all that we spend more time really um keeping them weeded keeping sports off um turning them things like yeah. that than in anything it's a rotation deal and just every once in a while we'll take a whole block where you've got to go in and and prune back or it gets that growth that just starts um um atrophying almost so you've got to stimulate it again by by the pruning process gotcha and how how many trees in in bonsai containers there's a few that really stand out from my visit to you that i think about but I'm, i'm trying to think how many trees and bonsai containers that are in a pretty refined state do you, do you maintain? Mm, well, there again, you're asking me to count. Uh, I'm not sure. 
actually, I'm, I could guess, but I'm not really sure. And we rotate. Um, I used to really um, try to keep everything in really pristine shape all the time. And, and I could tell there was something going on. And um, John Naka came to the property one time and he was talking. He goes, you're trying to keep your trees too um, precise all the time. Just let them be trees every once in a while. So we, I kind of embrace that because, you know, that you've got to let them be healthy. you got to let them grow to do what we do with pruning and everything. So every year we'll pick a few trees and um, keep them very refined. And, you know, when we reach, we maybe repot, change the style of a tree, we're focused on it, we'll go a lot further on mm -hmm. a tree like that. So of the collection out there, and say you have 100 trees out there, we're going to probably take a third of those and really bring them up to a certain standard. And maybe five of those we're going to make show quality just in case. Yeah. And so um, that that cadence, that kind of, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot for numbers or anything. I'm just trying to get a sense of your bonsai practice from my experience here. And my reference was watching Mr. Kimura. I mean, we had anywhere between 900 and 1,200 trees that we were maintaining at Mr. Kimura's. The back of his property, far more expansive than the front that everybody as, as public visitors would get to see. But but he, we maintain the trees in the front on a calendar, more or less. Not like he was looking at a calendar, but there were seasons. There was decandling season. There was pinching season, first and foremost, over the spring decandling season in the early summer. Five needle cleanup after that. And then we moved into juniper cleanup after that. And then we were into the fall. A lot of design and wire work, show preparation, etc. But over the course of it was almost like in the spring, yes, there were going to be some trees that were going to be repotted that he was going to invest his efforts in more than other trees, uh, show trees that he knew were on the docket for potential Kokfu, uh, you know, entries or even potentially Kokfu prize trees, Taikon 10 prize trees that he focused on. But he would always pick, and I don't know what led him to pick them, probably just his passion for the project that he was engaging with, but he would pick roughly a handful of trees mm -hmm. that you saw the full-blown Kimura like mojo yeah the mojo and when precision he, when it yeah and it wasn't it was more than just styling or anything he just was infusing that tree with mm -hmm. his energy he was looking at it every day he was specifically fertilizing that tree differently than everything else he was timing the applications of technique wiring, styling, pruning, needle plucking, decandling, pinching, whatever was happening for that species that of that tree that he had chosen to focus on, he was hitting the mark with every action. And the level that you would see that tree grow in that year that he focused his, I mean, and it was like Jedi force. Right. Because, and, and watching as an apprentice, I'm like, well, why don't you do that to every tree? Of course, you know, as an apprentice, you're like, oh, I mean, if you can do it to one, you can do it to That's 900, right. right? But like now being at Mirai, I recognize that that's not possible. Right. And and you can keep, like you're saying, you can keep a certain number of trees at a very high level. The next year, you're probably going to focus on other trees that need that kind and let that tree ride a little bit more, try to hit the marks of timing roughly, but you're right. not going to be as on point. And that, I started to really recognize that 
that lifestyle of bonsai as a professional where there is a prolific body of work being produced in a singular facility that those that energy is is a finite resource that you can only direct to so many trees and that's a good way to look at it because you don't want to dilute yourself you want to hit the ones and do a good job on those and bring them up to super health they all should be very healthy yeah but they could be healthy by just growing also yeah 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 no i totally i i totally agree and and so for you hang on there's a bird Oh, the birds go after the easy bait there. Yeah. They sit there and they can't they can't just eat the bug. They gotta bang on the on the on the structure. Well they're thanking you. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care for uh, I don't care for that specific bird. They're rather destructive, but you know. Anyways. <laughs> uh shit, what was I talking about? Um, just keeping trees up to a certain level, whether you can do it to your whole collection. Yeah. Once and yeah. 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 But the reason I asked you that in general was just to understand on a daily basis how you go about handling it. Like, do you pull a tree into a specific space that you're going to engage in a major wire project on? Uh, does that happen periodically, frequently? What does that look like for you? Um, it, it, I do pull it in. I, um, I have sort of a halfway wiring, um, area where i can just put a couple wires on a tree here or there put a guy wire on all the wire all the materials are out there and then i then i kick back and get really comfortable we we have those large decks and i've built a a ramp up or we built a ramp up to get onto the decks and now i can roll a very heavy tree your your little dingo could get on this deck now Mm -hmm. and so we bring the trees up there and i can sit them out they're out in the sun they're um, up on the deck where I can look at the lake and enjoy sort of a comfortable time at enjoying paradise. I mean, yeah. we live in paradise. You might as well enjoy it, right? So they'll sit up there. My wire station will be set up and everything. I can kick back close to the house and everything. And and um, it's in shade. It's We can put fans up and stuff. And, and I concentrate on that one tree. I'm in one spot. I'm not losing my concentration looking at other things or chasing birds away, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you, but you, uh, you have a substantial garden outside of the bonsai trees, though. You've got a landscape that you've created there. You've got a lot of, I mean, really incredible stonework, uh, wonderful garden design. What is it like to t- take care of that and maintain it? Well, we're actually starting to get help with that, and we've developed the, a different attitude to where. Um, some of the stuff is we're letting it grow too, <laughs> mm-hmm. then rain it in it, it in at a time. But you know, it's it's you start picking your um, what's important to you each day. And so some days we don't work on the bonsai other than watering and stuff like that, and going and looking at them, making sure everything's okay, and working on something in the landscape or you know whatever. We've got a life, and I'm trying to learn to embrace that. Yeah pandemic really helped with us on on kind of staying at home and focusing on maybe something other than bonsai right right and um did 
Now, did you used to be a job, a garden designer? Yes. Um, I mean, I started out in the nursery business at a young age, 13. And so I've always worked with plants, but I was sort of told that maybe I should work for myself at one point, sort of like, get out of here, kid, you know? And, and so I, I got into landscaping just as landscaping and saw that that wasn't that much fun really. And I was getting in, I was been into bonsai and I was looking at a Japanese garden book at a bonsai shop and went, Oh, I'd love to do this. And the next year got a, uh, next week, excuse me, um, got a job offer for, to build a garden for somebody mm. and, um, went for it and kind of did that for a while. And Japanese gardens were hot in Atlanta for long enough that we got pretty good at it. And then it started waning. And so, you know, we would have gone hungry if we'd stayed doing that, but we applied the same art to just a natural garden. We were doing the, the streams, waterfall, boulder placement, the tree work was the same. Really all we we're doing is not, um, including some of the lanterns and stuff like that, but it was the same look, you know, the same idea, you know, you're bringing the North Georgia mountains down to the city of Atlanta and letting people enjoy them. You could put in a almost a seashore look and, let somebody enjoy that hmm. so it was a lot of fun and the amazing thing is while we're working on the gardens that that um the quality of work we were doing and the way we were learning about the garden helped with the bonsai the better i got with the bonsai helped with the garden building and it just kept going back and forth so you know it's it's like your your whole life should build on itself and one should affect the other so the better you get at one thing the better you should apply it and work, but bonsai kind of has always been sort of a nucleus of that for me. Hmm. What do the Georgia mountains look like? Well, they're part of, I mean, when you look at, in one way, it was like one of the older mountain ranges in the world. I think there's one of three that's really old. So in Atlanta is where sort of the mountainous area starts and goes up. So once you hit to North Georgia, We've got tall mountains, and then right after that, you go into mountains that are tall for the east, which are you know around six thousand feet. So it's it's pretty mountainous, but Atlanta's not in that mountain area. We're right in between the Piedmont and the mountains, so we're at, again we're at a thousand feet. So and and at six thousand feet in Georgia what kind of no, plants No that's North Carolina right across Oh North the Carolina line. well what kind of plants We're, are growing up there All kinds of stuff and you know yeah um black spruce you've got some killer killer um um oh gosh brain dead all of a sudden but um beach you got killer beach that are up there that are really short fat trunk trees that are you know, for bonsai would be about five, six feet, seven feet tall. Oh, big, big trunks. Big. Yeah. So, man, incredible. But, you know, you're up high. It's up in that area. You've They've had snow every month of the year. You know, it's kind of yeah. really kind of cool. But um, but there's, you know, not a lot of those mountains, and they're hard to, to get to, and they're, they're heavily wooded. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to go around and some of the ridges and areas back to bonsai but some of those stone um just cliffs that are in these mountains have wonderful bonsai material they're just hard to get to and they're rare and Mm -hmm. so when you do find something that's 
Yamadori in our area is very special. Is mm. there's not a lot of them, so you get you get some old age and stuff, but it's just not a lot. So actually, is more special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's not there aren't people out there actively collecting because there's just not the number of trees to be out there doing it. Well, there, yeah, there's nobody really collecting a lot of things for sale. Mm-hmm. There, there are people. You know, I was pretty active when I was young with it, and I still, anytime I can get out and start walking the woods and collecting, I, I will. But the the fun thing about having trees, and you're not really trying to um, increase your collection. Yes, I'll if I see an incredible tree, I'll bring it home. But I'm out seeing what they look like in nature. Yeah. I'm I'm just I want to smell the the air around them and stuff, and just kind of sit down and say hey to a friend. So. I see the same trees over and over again a lot of times, and but if I if I bring a tree home, it's going to be pretty special because my philosophy is, you take it from someplace that it's growing and happy with, and it's got a good view. That tree owns you at that point. Yeah, you, you take it home, and you're going to do everything. So I I don't like um, myself. I I mentally don't like collecting a lot of trees because I don't don't feel like I can offer them that. Yeah. And yeah. then I get pretty possessive of them. I don't, I don't, those are not the ones that are going to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> What's black spruce like? What's it? Can you, t- and can you tell it's a black spruce? Is there like a de- defining character of black spruce? I don't know them well enough to, to be able to tell you the differences, but there's a black spruce and a, what called red spruce that kind of grow in the same area. Right. Yeah. I've heard about the red spruce and I heard the, the bud itself is very red mm-hmm. as, as kind of the, but I've always wondered, well, well, is the bud on black spruce black then? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. And then yeah, there's white, the white spruce out there too that I hear right. about. Yeah. These are, these are foreign to me. I have no, I have no, well, I've looked them up on Wikipedia. That's about it. Yeah. They're, I've seen none with a lot of character other than just straight up beautiful trees. Don't get me wrong, but they're, you know, you don't have the, um, wild character, um, but they're great for looking at, seeing how they operate, seeing what the forest looks like together, then then make it with something else. Um, mm-hmm. I've got some buddies that live up on, one guy lives at 6,000 feet. His house is the highest house in the eastern United States, by what he told me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a spring that's, when you drink out of the water, it's like, my goodness, yeah. water never tastes that sweet. Yeah. But He's he collects those trees and he's put a forest together that just looks natural because it's it's on a slab and he just keeps adding to it and it's it's a wonderful thing. So oh. he's doing it and um, he's you know it's not like he's an accomplished um, bonsai person, but his passions in this one piece that he just keeps adding to is phenomenal. That's I've never heard of anybody doing that. A constantly evolving not from the perspective of the growth of the trees that you create but continuing to add to it right that's rock and roll right there that's a lot of fun Ooh, i love that yeah i love that wow so it's pretty amazing the times i've seen it you know you have the older trees that are sort of in these prime spots but then as he moves out from it he's maybe collected the the bigger ones that he could get the taller ones and and then they're getting smaller out and then every once in a while you'll see another tall one and, and it looks 
I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but it looks just like the forest he's recreating. It's just just like that. So you have all these trees. He's gotten better at his placement. So as they get smaller, they're they're tighter together and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's 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 sweet. It's a good thing, and it's it's got a great view. It's right on the edge of a cliff. So um, his house is pretty much. I mean, he's up really really high. So um, yeah. Wow. It's, uh, I really envy that. I've no, I, I haven't spent enough time in the eastern United States. I've never been to North Carolina or South Carolina, uh, or or really spent any time in that region for outside of a quick visit here or there. And I mm-hmm. and I regret that because, I, and that's something I can remedy and and I'm kind of determined to. I've been asked to come to Asheville. Oh, uh, two or yeah. three times, and the pandemic really shut it down. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, it's like a, a tease every time I think about it because it sounds like I've always wanted to go see Arthur Jura's, uh, the collection he curates at right. the Botanical Garden. I hear a lot about the the exhibition that they have around that. That's a very, sounds to me like a very creative endeavor. It really is out of the box and creative, and uh-huh. it, it sounds like it has a really good spirit to it. I I know Danny Coffey is in Asheville now doing some interesting things. Ron Lang, obviously, was in North Carolina and 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 has since retired. But that that really does seem like there's some there's some mojo there, and there's a history there for bonsai. Right. right. That that when I went to Atlanta. Uh, I only started to become aware of how much bonsai culture has been present there for a, for a, a long time, mm-hmm. a really long time. Right. And you're a part of that history, but you also stepped into that history as you came up because there were was quite it a... It was already there. It was yeah. already there, yeah. yeah. I mean, who, who, who were the backbones of that? Like, how did that evolve? What is the, what is the story of... of bonsai in that region of the country well you had some you know i think a lot of it probably um, came through world war ii with with people coming back from japan and everything but um there were there was you know you had my teacher who um got into first moss and then he went out to california and and ran into some bonsai and just fell in love with it so he came back to the um, the east and southeast and really helped with bringing bonsai up a level who's your who's your teacher again um felton jones e felton, felton. jones okay and um that's right you talked we, we talked about that last time yeah and so you, you had that um but there was a lot of older people that came from different direction he had um uh, george hall wrote a book that's pretty interesting that <laughs> you should look at sometime but it's you know it's a book from the American past in bonsai, but he he was one of the ones that very early on, very early, um, was one of the ones that went to Japan to help bring the national collection mm. or get the Japanese involved and and with it. So there there was always been a lot. The um, the collection in Nashville is pretty unique. What Arthur's done was I thought brilliant, where he focus the the theme on the mountains around there so they kind of all the trees rather than just being um, total a bonsai look they they all mean something in the sense where he's recreating some of the plateaus of that area and just uh, it gives it a theme you know so that's that's, that's kind of unique 
I'm 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 so inspired by that. I think and Asheville is a vortex. It's, it attracts very unusual people. So you know, it's it's a pretty interesting city. Yeah, I gotta check it out. I gotta check it out. It sounds amazing. The Dan Robinson's garden up outside of Seattle felt very th- themed towards the Pacific Northwest. Right. That guy's a wild man. I, I I do I do aspire. I've talked with him and his wife about coming up to podcast. Uh-huh. With him and and film a land and gardens, uh, because it's such a special place that they've built there together. And uh but one of the things, you know, hearing the stories of of him collecting off of islands on boats out in the sound and or, you know, I'm I'm wherever he was and some of the adventures and you look at his trees and you see you see that right environment but you also see that that risk and that adventure in Uh his trees and uh i find that to be very special i find that to be very special about bonsai in general when you see the personality of the creator coming out in the trees and the compositions right um especially when you see it come out as freely as it does in some people's compositions and creations and that's where there's a, a, I think, a significant luxury to being educated in Japan in a bonsai sense. Uh, definitely an earned luxury, but there's a, a formality, there's a tech, technicality, uh, there's a, an approach, there's a system, at least for for my from my experience with Mr. Kimura, there certainly was, and and consequently, I'm always wrestling with that. I'm always not fighting it so much anymore, but it's always a wrestling match to try and not overly domesticate things, overly technical things, overly mm-hmm. stylized things. And Dan's work and and from what I've seen of Arthur's work and that thinking about that theme and let's go ahead and make the plateaus and mountains around this region that we're representing. It's just like, that is a freedom that being educated in Japan uh that's a freedom that that you have to f- maybe work a little bit harder for, right? To to right. to to break out of the 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 construct. Well, it's it the freedom is kind of earned in a sense where you've got to be um, sure enough of yourself to be able to pursue it that way, and because you know a lot of people will talk down on that kind of um, outlook, but mm. you got to be sure of yourself and understand yourself i mean that works for arthur because that's the only way he can think and uh but but how how badass is that that's great that he hasn't and i think uh he's not a conformist is basically it totally i I think about nick lens from this perspective though and it's just like uh that's off the charts yeah well you talk about artists that's that's true true artists right there nick lens was 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 next level is is next level i know his bonsai practice is different now but but um his work might be the most iconic work of all the north american artists as specific standalone pieces and people talk about yuji yoshimura people talk about john naka and harry harrow and ben oki and and there's a cornucopia of North American artists that have left a very, very significant impression. Von Banting and Nick Lenz's trees and the way that he handled it 
is is it's special. Very, very anybody who looks at them will not forget the uh, carved face in the dead wood or the you know. Well, you know the amazing thing when you I, I went I was fortunate enough to see his collection when it was really everything was there and um it was the amazing part is as a technician in bonsai he had it all down mm-hmm. his bonsai were technically really well done great wire but then you throw the the fun parts of nick lens thinking outside the box cuz he was making his own pots he would know what he wanted out of it make his pots and then you're talking about throwing the the tanks in running into trees and the faces carved in them and very well done. I mean, it wasn't like it was just sloppily done. It's not some kitschy thing. It was, it was well Well executed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that's, that's a standalone individual as far as bonsai being handled as an art. Yes. That guy was an artist who did bonsai. He wasn't a bonsai practitioner who tried to do art. It was very obvious uh, yeah. when you see his work and, and and the fact that they have such a provenance now nick lynn's trees have such oh, a yes. provenance now right uh and i do feel like v- some of von banting's trees are cherished in that same way some of john naka's the few true blue john naka's collection trees right. you know from his backyard right have some of that but but you don't you don't you don't see that a lot you don't have that provenance exist with a tree a lot and that's where nick nick separated himself from everybody oh yes from that perspective that's cool you got to see it in the heyday huh well at least at the very end of it he Mm -hmm. was still making pots and stuff like that so it was you know but the the trees were all mature so (laughs) that's the advantage of it but what a what a character you had to um pass his little mustard test when he when you came to see him he he really viewed you pretty strongly and you know it's kind of fun to weather the storm and go okay he's gonna let me see his trees you know <laughs> <laughs> well it was you say he, he looked at you uh through and through what he just probed you with little well he didn't probe me grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and jerked me right up to him where he was six inches away and he asked me a few questions and then go okay and let me go and it's like Phew. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. But I'd met him years before um, in the Everglades. We were both collecting um, cypress and mm-hmm. went around the corner of the same big tree. And um, there we were. And he goes, What are you doing? I said, Same thing you are. He goes, What am I doing? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was a character always, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, wife, very neat lady, also. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. As, uh, as as time passes in these places, change. It's just such a uh, it's just such a constantly shifting medium, and not only from the aspect of the tree, but it's a constantly shifting medium from the aspect of the individuals and the personalities and the community and the and the facilities. Right. The gardens, the creative institutions that breed the creation of these compositions are changing. And to get to see different people's interpretations and the 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 ecosystem within which they create is very very special, very very intimate. 
And that's that's really something that I've come to learn so much more about building Mirai and seeing other people's places to jump at, at the opportunity to see a space before it's gone or before mm-hmm. it changes because it's it's an undeniable fact that the maintenance and the physical aspects of bonsai are very demanding. Oh, yes. Very demanding. But that helps in a certain sense. I mean, you know, it, you stay in shape because you got to. You're doing it every day. Yeah. Which helps. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, personally, I, I've seen bonsai change a lot in the 50-ish years I've been doing bonsai. And it... it Right now is is just so exciting for me. I, there's no way I want to slow down in the sense of doing bonsai, maybe traveling and, and all that part. But mm-hmm. I'm really, all of a sudden, I'm starting to focus on my own trees in a different way. I'm seeing them different. Maybe it's because I'm running out of time in a sense for uh, why not work on them now when I can still do it. But you start going to other people's collections and seeing them. You know, when I come here and I, I see trees that really get me excited, you know, and I'm going to apply a lot of that to some of the trees that I have. The collections are changing. They're changing big for at least a lot of the people. You know, when you go see some of these special shows, Canapolis, any of these shows that really have really good quality and off the wall a lot of times, it's the art that matters. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a lot of fun. It's the bonsai in America is just starting to grow i think just just be uh, just beginning just beginning are there are there gardens or people's places or or events shows specific moments that stand out to you for one reason or another um yeah for for different reasons i mean you know like going to see nick lens um going be involved and looking at um um, Vaughn Banning's garden, but there's lots of friends where, you know, some people I, you know, would not have gotten along with except for bonsai mm-hmm. and going to see their gardens and just, you know, feeling that mellow feeling from, from being in somebody's garden. And then there's events that take place that have been very huge in my life as far as growing into bonsai and stuff. So, um, there have been those, some of the shows, some of the um, events where you meet a lot of people that are like-minded. That, mm-hmm. That's always been very interesting to me. Um, I think some of the more important deals that changed my view of bonsai is just traveling and looking at nature. I mean, just seeing these areas that, um, new areas to me. Um, you're talking about Dan Robinson and going out into the boats with the boats and collecting off islands and everything. It seems like the more dangerous it is, the more exciting um, the tree becomes. Just the visual of it, but the memory of it. Bonsai is sort of about memories to me. And, yeah. and so, you know, a tree represents a certain time in my life, a certain memory. And then maybe I'm recreating that look again, trying to hang on to it. But um, one of my favorite trees right now, and I've just started to work on it. It's a pine that I collected probably about five years ago. And um, it's the most, probably the most dangerous one tree I collected. And it was on a cliff face. And I had a buddy throw a rope over. So I walked down the cliff face, down a little tr- little ledge and got there. And 
it obviously was more important for me to tie the rope on the tree <laughs> to save it. <laughs> and it was important because when I got it out, I, it came out in an unusual way. And um, so the tree was saved and, you know, I hung on too, but um, but it shows you what's more important <laughs> in life. Because <laughs> if so you'd fallen off Charlie the cliff, Charlie was not there. If you'd fallen off the cliff, your buddy still would have had the tree. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, <laughs> he would have. <laughs> That's funny. It was that a Virginiana? It was. And it's a big one. And um, it's it's got twisted wood. It's just uh, killer. And the the interesting thing is it it had no roots on it. When, when it was basically ripped out of this rock face, um, you know, I felt really bad. And I took it home just because what do you do? You got to really try, but I felt really bad and potted it in just almost straight with large at the bottom, working my way up with Kiryu Zuna. And it, the tree never missed a beat, hmm. never slowed down. And, um, uh, so it's I've taken my time five years and now um, now I'm going to wire it and start That's working. With it. Yeah, so That's I moved exciting. it into sort of the foreground where it, it's was always kind of into the back and mm-hmm. um, it's going to be my next exciting project at the house. It's just I've been waiting on it. Just mm-hmm. the time's got to be right before something like that happens. But I'll always remember that you know important thing of protecting the tree not yourself right I mean, <laughs> right the tree's been there a lot longer than i have and, and technically it. if we don't screw it up should be here long after we're gone that's exactly that's, that's the goal yes sure is what but was you know, go ahead um you know one thing that i'm starting to notice is is and it's happening but the importance of public um collections that are you know you know you have gardens and stuff you know i'm gonna you, you named um um arthur's garden at, at Asheville arboretum and stuff but chicago some of those other gardens mm. are just phenomenal place to go look at good bonsai and it's it's fun watching those evolve too with getting new trees and um, new curators that are going going little different directions and stuff like that yeah using the new knowledge that's coming out yes it's pretty exciting. I think that, yeah, I was, I was talking about this with Ted Manson. Uh, we podcasted last week and just talking about the notion of curation. Because for him at the Huntington Library and Gardens, Ben Oki was the beginning of the bonsai collection at the Huntington. And, and, and by the time he exited, the trees were, he had had a wonderful narrative arc to that collection that the trees were definitely needing some love and attention because curation is a big job. It's a it huge is. job. It really is. And modernized concepts of curation, as far as it applies to bonsai, is not just going and watering and weeding. Right. Using the trees to create contextual discussions, and Aaron, Aaron Packard and Ted, are, I think, are both really working hard. But I, mm-hmm. I know... Um, Chris in Chicago is is working hard as well, and um, and there's some exchange and collaboration of collections now, which right, is this which is, is very very special and important. Yes, for that yes, to I be agree. able to happen. Um, and in, speaking of Nick Lenz, when they did the Nick Lenz exhibition Wasn't at the incredible? National Arboretum, yeah. it was I, I I didn't go in person. I only saw images, but I know that that we kind of orchestrated the transport of, of the Pacific Bonsai Museum trees 
across the country to to get there or or you know were, right. were part of that chain of communication which was really interesting uh-huh um but that's exciting that's really exciting because that's 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 bone tie growing as a historical element and representation and it seems to be you know sort of like an avalanche is is happening really more and more it's building up speed and just you know i'm i'm really excited about the days and times when you go to a show now and the quality of the trees in there you know my goodness yeah you know the the, the trees when i started it, it's funny thinking about those now i mean what was the best tree would not be shown into a collection now right who in the heck is walking around here right now <laughs> i'm hearing some thunder oh so. man that's uh, I'm, I'm just sitting here looking at this it's got to be Troy. I think I saw his his van. But then I was like, that's it. It's past six o'clock. There's nobody here. Troy went home long ago. Yeah. But it was Troy. Did he forget something? No. Troy, uh, you know, he and I both have this. He and I both have this thing uh, coming back to setting trees on the ground for winter time or bringing trees into a greenhouse if if you have any concerns of frost and whatnot, we both abide by the practice of if you're thinking about it, then you need to do it. Yes. And, uh, exactly. So both of us are guilty of driving all the way to Portland and turning around and coming all the way back because we're thinking about something. And he just said, I didn't think I could explain it in a text. So he came back because he had set a tree on a bench that he felt if wind came up might blow off the bench well and, and it saved him time by not thinking about it for the whole rest of the night yeah <laughs> you know yeah and in, the anxiety of that you I know? know i do know yeah. yeah yeah that 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 yeah that that's that, again I, it goes back to the tree owning you right it yeah. just <laughs> that proves it and I, they should i so. feel like that's your bonsai conscience you know it's <laughs> yeah, a, and, yeah. it, and it's like man the the turning point of my apprenticeship in Japan was listening to my bonsai conscience. That actually, if I, I've, I've talked about the, the moment where I really turned the corner was when I started taking initiative. But mm -hmm. if I had to more deeply quantify it, it was when I started listening to that inner sensation telling me what I should be doing, and I stopped overriding it by what I thought Mr. Kimura would want me to be doing. Oh, because that's you beautiful. Can, yeah. You can't guess what somebody wants you to do. Yeah. You he can, might not even know. <laughs> he might not even know, but what he does know is when it's a superficial product that doesn't have heart behind it. And when you listen to that instinct, that is your that is your guidepost. That's your own bonsai practice starting to inform your decisions. And man, both in my conduct as an apprentice and and the quality of my work, that was the it was and it was a, almost an overnight thing. Really, yeah. it took me uh, a long time to get to that turning point of realization. But once I realized it, it really and and to this day in my life, the the times that I don't listen to that. Um, I have suffered greatly. Oh, sure. I have suffered yeah. greatly. Yeah. But you had to have that education before that, that, that big moment hit and have it really positive for you. Yeah. Painful and, education. Well, it's, it's painful, but that one moment, everything fell into place. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. What else about Kingsville didn't you tell us? Yeah. 
Well, you got to keep some secrets, right? <laughs> not, listen, don't empty the cliff on your secrets. <laughs> well, you know, I, I sort of felt like um, last night I just didn't explain certain things well. And so there's the kind of a progression of the year for Kingsville is, is interesting in the sense where, yes, you can, the easy time, the smart time to repot, say, is in spring. Um, and it is for most plants and most trees but kingsville's give you that opportunity to stretch that out and almost do it any time of the the year but um here's my feeling on kingsville's is in a lot of trees i've started adapting a kingsville sort of the tree that showed me bonsai so at the same time i kind of follow the example that they're teaching me and apply it to other trees but um what kingsville's showed me is they, when they start growing, if I'd prune them before that, they're going to do it anyway, and they're going to mess the whole um, refinement up at that point. So I started, my theory was, well, I'm going to let them go ahead and have that first flush, let it go, then it's feeding the tree. They're building up that stored energy. The battery's getting really charged up, mm-hmm. and then I can apply it. So I started doing that with Kingsville, and that really worked nicely where um, some trees I might edit a little bit if I'm going to show them in the spring, but mostly I let them have that growth period mm-hmm. and then I let them harden off. And then, then I start working on depending on um, what I want out of them. So I can work them quickly after that and get them to grow fast and put more branches on and, and get a little bit more twigging um, by getting another season in right by, starting earlier and and working it Uh, so i'll get two grows sometimes three during the course of the summer through early fall but i've got to stop it at that point so that it doesn't get into um, a cold weather to where the new growth is not hardened off that's where it gets burned and really sets you back all that work you've done gets set back because the tree gets really um weak from it and so as long as I do that, then that's a tree that I'm really in the process of refinement. Mm-hmm. When the tree's refined, then I really generally only prune it if I'm going to prune it every year, just once a year, and that's in November. Mm-hmm. That's my special time. That's usually mostly Kingsville's because I'm, I'm doing it and refining them, and then, then they're going to sit like that very nicely and not look messy to me for quite a while. Right, and that's kind of nice. So, so if you really wanted to build up the finer branching structure, post initial push, hardened off, prune, they'll push again, prune, mm-hmm. they'll push again, prune and prune. Yeah, right. And then would you still do the November work, or are they growing nah, slow that's, enough that's that different, that's a different yeah. different methodology? Yeah. yeah, and so there's a separation there, and I don't think I explained that very well. Um, last night, but I mean, there's there are approaches with all bonsai. You're doing this. What are you? What are you really trying to achieve by your work at that period? And Kingsville's one of those that. Um, so I don't do that refinement on most of those, except for the really the the ones that are at sort of that refined stage, and mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna they're slowed down. They're the small leaves are not growing that much. They're extremely healthy. Um, but they've slowed down, which is what kind of we want on all bonsais. We want that slow, compact growth. 
um, at some point anyway. Um, you were asking about the soil also, and um, I had um, a tree from one of your students was sent to me, and it was potted in the um, Akadama, like you were talking about and everything. I just wanted to tell you because I was able to see the whole root system, and it was fantastic. Um, since of, you know, I got saw it up hand. I don't know if you've seen what the Kingsville does um, after a while in Akadama, but it's pretty impressive. Yeah, what does and it do? It really likes it. So <laughs> <laughs> it it um, just it's in, it was incredible the um, matrix of the um, yeah the roots through the soil, and then what Kingsville d- does that's pretty interesting is it, it's one of the trees that. It does the matrix through the soil, but once it fills that up, then it starts almost lifting itself out of the container. Right. And so it was in the process of eating the screens and doing all that to where, and it was healthy. I mean, it was super healthy. It yeah. wasn't like it was getting in its way. But what I always look for, you know, when, and I really don't care what people use, students sometimes come with soil that I wouldn't use, but if, in the process of repotting, if it has a root base, it's a matrix through the soil. You know what can I say? I mean, it's it's working. You know, for, just to argue with yes, yeah. Whatever they're doing with that, this is c- constant reinforcement. Mister Kamari used to say, "There's just no bad soil." Yeah, which isn't totally true, and he knew that. Yeah, but it's it's how you handle it, or exactly. how it works for you, it's how you water. Yeah, exactly. How you water. Yeah, but I'm just saying that. You know, that gave me a whole new look for, um, at, um, Akadama. It just, it was really working mm-hmm. and very happy about that, seeing that. Yeah. Akadama is such a, such a delicate mistress. Yes. Because, um, not all Akadama is created equally. Right. And, uh, and I don't think we totally understand Akadama entirely. I think we only understand parts of it. At least that's that's what I'm coming to I, I realize. I know that's true with me for sure. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I think when you look at it, you know, it's it has this unique structure for a clay particle. It has this organic matter that gives it a cation exchange capacity. It, it has this ability to tolerate. But I think the other thing about Akadama that I just have recently been learning as as we've been digging digging into more of like the mineral balancing in mm-hmm. the container. Which is just a total shit show to try and understand that. Let me tell you, let me, I, that's I a, agree. That's a freaking nightmare. Yeah, um, probably error almost. <laughs> yeah, I, it came it came about for me because so many people have issues that they say, "Is this a disease? Is this a pest? How do I deal with this?" And yeah, you, you can always say, "Well, you can water better, uh, water oxygen," but the the water quality. Mm-hmm. that in in the world is going down right there's no place that's like man my water used to suck and now it's great i, I haven't heard that yeah but what i have heard is we used to have good water and now it is just garbage you know alkalinity boom ph skyrocketing yes uh mineral content skyrocketing so you've got uh basic water and you've got hard water mm-hmm. and that's a real problem for bonsai cultivation because in the confined environment of the shallow container, that water sits around for longer. Yes. Uh, has a harder time leaching out 
toxicity that accumulates. You have a much smaller soil mass to buffer that constant input of pH and mineral content. And, and consequently, you know, an, an Akadama as a particle, I don't think a lot of people realize how high of a buffering capacity it has. It resists changes in behavior, which is why we can get away with it for a certain amount of years. But when you cross that threshold, you can't change it. It's just as against, it's just as highly buffering of positive changes as it is of negative changes. Wow. And so yeah. when you think about that, if it took you three or four years to get a tree into a state of poor health or ill condition based on mineral balancing or mineral offsets, toxicities, then it's going to take you the same amount of time to fix it unless you have a really good arsenal of tools and knowledge. And that's that's what brought it about for me because I recognized there are things that happen that are unexplainable and and it's got to be based on deficiencies and toxicities. And, and in fact, that's exactly what we got super, super deep into and have continued to explore, right, you know? Right. Um, and and it's tough. It's tough to fix. It's tough to fix. It's tough to know. And even well, this- it takes a lot of effort. The people that are collecting water in their rain barrels and doing it that way, I mean, that's just work. You yeah. know, it's yep. easier to straight out of the hose. It's easier to it's easier to try and not. Right? It's right. easier to keep doing what you're doing and not try to correct it. The problem with that is I think, and I don't know how much this is shifting in Japan in terms of the health of the trees. The the biggie for me has always been if if a tree is green and growing, it doesn't mean it's healthy if you're having to spray it with chemicals every week. That's oh yeah. That's not and that's that's a that's a good sign. It's sort of the canary right there, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I, I think so. Disease mm-hmm. and pests and Japanese bonsai is really heavily dependent on chemicals to a degree that we can't fathom in the United States. So it's great that their trees are green and healthy. There are a lot of crops across North America that are supposedly green and healthy that take a lot of chemical maintenance, mm-hmm. and, and we digest that. Yes. And, and that is a, a real issue and problem and source of, of, of things that are growing in, in uh, significance and severity. So just looking at all of that and saying, okay, I'm going to abide by the same principles of of fertilizer application and 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 water behavior etc i just it it seemed like a losing battle to me Mm -hmm. but i know everybody can't doesn't have the test group to make these observations and try and fix them or change them and that's that's where i think mariah is a really good facility to be doing that that's a great facility for that (laughs) yeah yeah you've got a great team yeah yeah it's it's it's, obvious surrounded by good people yeah Yeah, that i that i really trust to do the things that we do because we we do do some pretty risky things yeah well yeah but you got the back you know being a fly on the wall which has been really fun for the last couple days i'm really good at being a fly i've decided but um <laughs> you know just listening to the way you guys interact and what you're talking about thinking about mm. everybody's heads in the same spot mm-hmm. and it's, it's good to see it's oh, been fun nice thank you yeah. for that yeah there is a certain degree of um uh peeking behind the curtain if you will mm-hmm. you know when you invite people into your space professional slash i guess here it's very intimate because it's such a big part of my life. <clears throat> so anybody who comes here, 
you know, my, my I don't live, I don't, you know, live here at the moment, but it doesn't mean that I don't live here. Right. Uh, well, your, your energy's here all the time. Yeah. Nothing gets past you either. I've noticed, you know. Well, yeah, that's the, but that's a blessing and a curse, right? Well, it's, it's a blessing, you know. Did it ever, did it ever occur to you to not live at the garden? No. 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 Yeah. It, it's, you know, we don't have, ours is so simple compared to this. And it's not simple to us all the time, but it's, it's pretty simple. There's, there's no way I could do what I do in, in bonsai without being right there and not having the commute and mm-hmm. stuff. You yeah. Know, it's just, just no way. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, well I'm, I'm excited at some point to get back here, but um, it's been a big change. Been a, been a really big change. Mm-hmm. I can't say that it has been a uh, that it has been all bad though. I can see where it could be really good in the sense where you're taking a step back and looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, and um, I mean, looking at your trees, they're they're not. I mean, this doesn't sound maybe right for you, but they're not suffering with you not being here. Sure, they're, they're looking great. Yeah. So, the tension is still there. The thought's still there. No, no, I'm still here. I, was, yeah. I still live, eat, and breathe bonsai. Yeah. I just, yeah. uh, I just don't sleep it now. And, right. And I think uh, one of the things that started to weigh on me at this place was that I was living in it so much that I was having a hard time uh, enjoying it or seeing uh, uh, beyond what wasn't getting done, what wasn't finished, what wasn't looking good. You know, and it's yes. I the first thing I do that separation ever, is important, isn't it? And, um, and I, I envy the fact that you can live in it, and it and it serves you. And I think I will mature to a point where I can where I can also do that. But for a while there, it was starting to eat me up. Well, it it you know every once in a while you you, you do something or you feel a certain way, you think about a certain thing, and I get right into worrying about things and planning ahead and. Yeah. All that and and thinking of I love what you just said. Thinking of things you haven't done yet. I mean, you can't be in that kind of control anyway. And so bad space. Yeah, bad space yeah. being. You you feel like you exist in the present pretty well. I I really do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm living the moment and riding that wave. And yeah, I, I really try to do that, and um, it's becoming easier and easier. Frustrates um, some people I know. But um, yeah, I, I live in the moment. <laughs> Does that is that is that a is that a would you call that wisdom? I don't know. I haven't really thought of it that way. I'm, you know, maybe I would like to, but I, I mm. can't give myself that kind of yeah, credit. Sure. I, really. I respect that. Yeah, but um, I know it's a lot more fun when you live in the present. It's got to be. Yeah, it's gotta it be. is. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at that. I don't know. That feels like a lifelong, lifelong uh, goal, lifelong process. How's that? Well, it, it, and it is. I mean, you know, we we learn things as we go. I wasn't always like this at all in the way I feel about myself, but you know, it's it comes. Yeah, it, it did with me. Some things start happening that are sort of game changers in your life, and do you succumb to it or do you grow from it and improve yeah. and um, I feel like with myself, I've improved and, you know, my art's gotten better and that's super important to me. It's like, I'm not just maintaining now. I'm really um, creating things that satisfy me and excite me. And 
who else matters? <laughs> you know, really. Sure. You yeah. should be your best critic and sure. admirer and cheerleader. You when did you when did you feel like you turned a a notable corner in terms of that? Well, I you know, um this has been fun for me to talk to and admit about, but you know, it was a major game changing accident where you know, I had a super head injury that skull fractures, seizures, game changer. And um it affected things like um my vocabulary, my math skills, my smell disappeared. So pretty major injury. And the one thing I noticed that I hadn't lost any of was bonsai. I just that was a consistent, strong foundation for me. Hmm. And but Charlie started noticing she goes, This you're off the charts right now. Just keep going. Cause all my ideas had changed. I was I was precise, confident in them, and um, I was seeing things in trees that I just hung on to because I knew something great was there. I just, you know, sometimes it's easier to tell somebody else how their trees, how to develop yeah. and, and see something in it than your own trees. Well, all of a sudden, I started seeing my own trees, and it released something in me. It just, um, I changed, and, hmm. you know, some probably not for the best, but. I think most of it was really a good thing. I mean, it's hard. The my neurologist one time asked me, you know, how you feeling? I said, I feel great. This finally, <laughs> this is really, this works for me. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, not everybody can live, uh, have the head injury and do that. I yeah, know. it's a serious thing when I see people in the office. And but I was one of the lucky ones. It it actually helped me. I, you know, for one thing, I became less angry of a person, which mm. allowed me to be better in bonsai. You just kind of let go of life's baggage, yeah, a little bit. Wow. Yeah. So, oh shit! Well, how long ago did that happen? It was um, right before we met, but it was um, um, March. No, excuse me, January eleventh in um, two thousand ten. Oh wow! And you know, it was slipping on some ice and hitting the back of my head but you know the the smell came back and um you know the, the vocabulary still suffers but i'm i'm working on that mm -hmm. the, the math is slowly coming back i mean i didn't lose the whole um structure of my brain and it just slowly grows back but the bonsai just it accelerated that and it was it was like wow you know opened a door for me Wow. Um, that was pretty exciting. Wow. And I've hung on to that, which that's important. <laughs> so, yeah, for that to go away after you got that surge and then all of the oh other man, stuff that, that you don't care terrible, about. Wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be a, that would be you one shown of the uh, life's mean tricks. Say, <laughs> yeah, Rodney, yeah. look inside this door. Pretty cool, huh? Nope. Your head hurts, doesn't it? But here you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but it was a game changer and it just totally um it changed something that was it was needed, but um it really worked well for me wow and, uh, amazing yeah. that's am that's amazing yeah, the so, brain is the brain is something the brain is something it's funny because in college my my professors always talked about how much we knew about plants but how little we relatively understood compared to what plants are capable of and you see these big medical advancements in the human body and neuroscience and all of right. that. So you 
you think, okay, well, we must know more about the human body than we know about plants. And then you talk to a doctor and they're like, oh, man, <laughs> yeah, we don't like. know anything. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the brain. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. Oh, that's a complex, that's yeah. a complex thing. I, I think of it just in, in regards to the recent scientific proof of the, of the, um, of the biological highways, you know, of the beneficial fungi that connect oh, trees' yeah. roots and, and all right. of the research Susan Samard's been doing. And it's like such a contrast to the competition method methodology that I was taught in college where plants are existing in competition. And I understand competition exists in the forest right, floor, right. right? It's not like it's it's not one or the other. It's It's a nuance of both competition and collaboration but it it turns out that collaboration is 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 far more prevalent than was initially thought and and very very powerful tool mm -hmm. connected by the fungi uh, and you just think about that you think about that notion of the root system being the epicenter of health for a tree disease susceptibility to to pests all all fostered by an unhealthy root system you look at the human body and the gut biome which is right. also filled with fungi and bacteria sure. and beneficial and 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 harmful colonies of both that are constantly shifting and waging war with a high buffering capacity nonetheless of stomach acid and the environment that exists there and um i had a student that was here a few weeks ago he said listen uh there is a, a a line of scientific thought in human health that says all 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 major uh, disease and health related issues originates in your gut. Makes a lot of sense. Makes makes yeah. perfect sense, yeah. especially to a plant person, and maybe not even especially to a plant person, but especially to a bonsai person. Right. Where we see how a one-to-one -one of an unhealthy root system leads to the presence of disease or pest. Well, talking to Cliff at the winery the other day, I mean, he was same thing with the grapes. Yeah. I mean, when you're really paying attention to plants, it's very similar. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, have, have you done any studies or um, some of your trees? Um, you know, I don't see it a lot, but I haven't really taken time to look at all the trees, but... A couple of them recently that I've collected in the last five years, I collected sort of the, there were pocket collections where you could just take the whole zone. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and so I've been kind of letting the, what was the understudy just stay in place and putting that, it, it looks good on a rock, you know, it kind yeah. of makes sense, but yeah. it's kind of an interesting um, relationship that all these plants form. And yeah. so I've been, it's been kind of fun watching that situation um, transpire you this, know this is um and i don't know how much of kusumono or stakusa came from i i had heard and read in a i only could find one reference in a text when i was studying in japan about yamadori collectors like in the real heyday of yamadori collection early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s in Japan, that they started taking uh, a grass or an understory plant mm -hmm. along with the tree during collection. And there wasn't a discussion of why they would do that. 
mm-hmm. but just that it was a common practice for Yamadori right. collectors. Now, are they taking that to plant with the tree for the biology? Are they taking that as a accent to the tree for the future you know, presentation or display? Are they, are they taking it because there is some sort of you know, thought of a relationship, whether it be spiritual or biological or something where, you know, is that the birth of Kusamono? Is that the birth of Shitakusa and Bonsai Display? I just found that to be really, I found that to be really thought-provoking, that that was a common aspect of Yamadori collection. Yeah, but it's an easy... it's an easy route, if nothing else. Effort, because, effortless to effortless yeah. to, to to see and appreciate that. Yeah. In, in addition to, I mean, you know, the more you learn about soil, at least for me, the more I've learned about soil, it's alive. And so, when I'm fertilizing, when when unfortunately when I use chemicals, I'm affecting that life. And yeah. And in our stomach, we've got the same but different kind of life involved. But that those trees to get the roots healthy. The soil's got to be super healthy. So, you know, that's why the organic fertilizers. And I like to feed my trees slightly different um, fertilizers here and there yeah. just to increase some of the stuff. I don't, the mojo of that fertilizer is different than this one. And uh, that's one thing about the Kingsville. That's another thing I was going to, felt like I was a little misleading about is, is um, I was saying that that was the old nursery way with the cottonseed mill, but we're using some of that. We're using other things also. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, I, I always say I like to feed my trees the way I like to eat. I like to eat a diverse amount of food and yeah. different things. And I'll, you know, I go to a restaurant and I can't get the same thing over and over again. I just want to try something different. Well, fertilizer, I feel like should be the same. I know you get fertilizers that really, really work, but you know, there's, there's, you know, you add seaweed to your mix. You add this or yeah. that. You're, you just got to give them different things every once in a while. I agree. I agree. So. I th- I think the hardest thing, the hardest thing to balance that I've recognized is applying a uh, process fertilizer to plants because that Akadama buffering capacity means that you can apply uh, a processed balanced feed to your trees and toxicities won't express within the first year. Mm-hmm. You can continue to apply the same thing and toxicities won't express the second year. You can continue to apply the same thing and toxicities won't express the third year. And in fact, you know, they may never express because that plant may never have a toxicity or, or, or a buildup of one thing in excess that starts to compromise the system of nutrient availability. But you might have the exact same species, the exact same size, exact same origin, exact same container, exact same soil sitting right next to that tree that has no issue with the way that you fertilize and fertilizing the exact same way may form a significant issue on that tree. And you look at that and you say, well, what the heck? And you could even have that same situation happen with two prostrata junipers that are propagated from the same tree at the same time as cuttings grown in the same nursery mix over the same period of time in the same blocks sitting next to each other the entire same time, put in the same bonsai container, the same bonsai soil, uh, same level of health, and you fertilize them, and that those two trees will respond differently to that. 
that is some freaky stuff to me. That is real. That that's some voodoo right there, and yeah. that 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 really psychs me out when it comes to bonsai because you say, okay, well then how do you how do you fertilize? And that's really just like you know how do you water correctly? It's like well that's any that's anybody's best guess. Yeah, and and y'all everybody does their best, but but don't you think with watering you can, your observation is at least easier? I with- do. I do. Far, e- far easier is, than nutrition. Yeah. Far easier. Nutrition is going to become the next frontier uh, mm-hmm. from my perspective of not only bonsai, but of agronomy in general. Right. Agronomy in general, because the, the methodology by which food production and, and yield was, has increased, it already crested, it already peaked, and now it is declining so rapidly, mm-hmm. so rapidly because the soil profile has been broken down, the quality of the soil has been broken down, the health content, nutrient the water. content, no, the water is declining. Yeah, and that's not to be gloom and doom about it. We just got to change the mineral application now. You change yeah. the methodology, change the the origin of the resource, change the the information by which we uh, handle those things. And I think bonsai is going to be a a, a very major potential test subject for that. What well, is? That's a good way to look at it because, I mean, you got people that are really paying attention to it. And, you know, basically you're not talking about thousands of acres. You're talking about your backyard. One tiny, one tiny yeah. pot, one tiny tree. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's been, that's been a relief uh, to recognize, you know, it's like eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? Well, you just one bite at a time. You know, it's yeah. like, it, you there is a, a desire to sort of fix everything or adjust mm-hmm. everything. It's, that's just not the way bonsai works. And in fact, not every plant needs to be adjusted. Right. And that's, um, so it's interesting. Uh, but but I, I, just to fi- finalize that thought, I have developed traveling throughout the world, but specifically in North America. I would go places and I would see people doing bonsai whether I thought how they handled the tree aesthetically or not really, really stopped mattering to me as much. When you would go to somebody's place where their trees were just so incredibly healthy and mm-hmm. so incredibly not, uh, not well-maintained from being grammatically sealed or clinical in their sterility, but being well-maintained when you could see the love and the age and the patina and the tree was thriving and, and and a majority of their trees were thriving because of what they did. Right. I, I started recognizing th- that the cultivation of the tree. Working with Mr. Kramura, he was always he was always in the background making sure the trees were healthy, even though we as apprentices were watering. Mm-hmm. He could tell when things were going wrong. He knew what was going on. He was very proactive. But now, being a bonsai professional, my my education as an apprentice was was technical and artistic and we did the horticulture but but that that is a real skill set that's a real knack some people have a knack to design trees artistically some people have a technical capacity some people have a knack to cultivate and just grow things at right a, at a level of health and success that other people simply cannot achieve right seeing right. that i developed such an appreciation for people that could do that and they might not be able to explain it. What they do would not work for 99.9% of the bonsai population. 
but they had hit that sweet spot and they just rocked out in that world. And that's like, wow, that's a real, right. you're very gifted. Yes. I don't think we give enough credence to that. We should. Because, you know, when you go into, like viewing a show, when you walk in and you see that tree that glows, has a halo over it, healthy tree, it might not be the best artistic tree in the collection. That's the first one I look at, and it might be the last one I look at. It's mm-hmm. it's really, really powerful thing. And so yeah. when you do see a whole backyard, it's it's a vortex kind of thing when you see everything super healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's really the most important part. Bonsai, number one, is horticulture. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're in control more with bonsai or out of control more with bonsai than any other plant because, I mean, it's it's in a little small container. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that is something... That is something I, I really feel like 2021... This fall was the first time that I really felt like I loved the Pacific Northwest. First time in eleven years where I was like, "Yeah, I can be here." Mm-hmm. It's, wow. uh, it's what changed. Um, I don't know. Did I tell you the story of my apprenticeship where I realized I like Japan? <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, okay, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Well, well. So, you know, I went to Japan for a very specific reason. Right. I did. I didn't. I. Japan as a country is incredible. The culture is amazing, and I had a, an appreciation and respect for it before I ever went. But it wasn't because I was fascinated by Japan that I went to study bonsai. It was because I was fascinated by the work of Mr. Masahiko Kimura that mm-hmm. I went to Japan to study bonsai, right? From him. From him, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that was a tough transition to make. Life as an apprentice was not easy. Uh, specifically with him. Um, And the isolation factor, not only of, you know, being a very foreign, in a a very, being a foreigner in a very foreign place, um, but also just, just the, the general lifestyle in Japan was not something that I was familiar with being an American. And I wasn't in a place where people were having fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I was in a place where people were really more or less struggling in an apprenticeship to try and achieve some degree of right. capacity, right? right? So that was really challenging. A lot of pressure yeah, put lot on of, yourself. A lot of pressure, well, and also uh, a lot of pressure created between apprentices. Uh, a real significant amount of competition created by Mr. Kimura to get the most out of his apprentices. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't make the human experience enjoyable which he couldn't have cared less because an apprenticeship is as much a a a growth mechanism for the apprentice (laughs) as it is for their bonsai skill set and i really do value and have come to appreciate his approach on on a lot of levels that i didn't initially understand or appreciate as much but but i was taking the train to tokyo about six weeks before i was going to come back to the united states and I remember being on the train and I was thinking, I like the train. I like going to Tokyo. I like Japan. You know, this five and a half, five, five, five and three quarter years into my apprenticeship. The first time I'd ever thought that. Not not a reflection of people or anything else, just my sensation of being there. Eleven years into living in the Pacific Northwest. 
first fall rains hit, incredible fall color after a very challenging year at Mirai. And I just thought, I finally like the Pacific Northwest. Just, this is just like a few weeks ago. I just thought, I think I'll live here. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a shorter commute. Yeah, but the 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 and again, I I I keep going on these long winded. I don't know what it is uh, about you and me conversing uh, that I go on these long winded rants. But uh, basically, what that Fun was to rant. Yeah, it? I guess so. But that was all to say that um, I think I still haven't mastered the horticulture of the Pacific Northwest. Right. Right. It 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 has been it has been um. A real challenging, nuanced target. I could cultivate trees better in other places than I've been able to cultivate them here. Not to say that the trees are unhealthy, but but there's a there's a there is a degree of health that I know is achievable, and I know I can achieve it. But I have not found out how to achieve it here. Don't you think the game's sort of changing on us, though? As I think going? it's I think it's a completely moving target. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be really good and and be able to f- move yourself really quickly. So it just plainly means you got to really know what what you're seeing before it becomes a problem. That's the move right there, though. That's the move. Would you consider yourself a proactive bonsai practitioner? I try to be. Yeah, you know, and I've. You know, I'm constantly gleaming any information I can get to to try to do that. But you know, I can I, I make mistakes health wise with the trees. You know, all of a sudden you go, "Gosh, what, what's happened here?" Mm-hmm. And um, it's tough so, to recover from too. Yes, once it a is tree tough. once a tree loses health, that's a real that's a real battle. Yes, you're, you're now in a fisticuffs to get that thing back. I had a um a buddy that passed and and before he passed he um bestowed upon me a lot of his trees and he had been always an underwater and but when he was really sick with several problems you know he kind of was lazarus in a sense of just one thing led to another led to another and mm-hmm. they all should have killed him and finally they did but his trees came and they were very tough trees in the sense where they'd gone through 10 years of, of really being in poor health, being treated <laughs> poorly. And it, I just went, okay, I'm going to be able to take care of this. And it, it took a good four or five years oh. before I saw them acting like the trees that were already there. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a very pivotal moment where it's like, man, this stuff doesn't, doesn't happen fast. You can't just repot a tree and put it in your soil mix and expect it to, um, know who you are and speak your language right it, it takes it a while oh that's fascinating i've never thought about like that know who you are and speak your language yeah yeah and i think we do i think in bonsai still we look at these trees as uh i'm gonna repot it and now it's now everything should be fine and it's like ooh, that's uh, this is it's more yeah. complex the older the tree is oh yes this is this has been the greatest revelation over the first 11 years at mirai is seeing how long it takes a collected tree to actually adjust to being collected it takes a decade mm-hmm. it takes a decade yeah. they get worked on too fast a mm-hmm. lot of times yeah and um i uh, your 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 five years for your virginiana that you collected i i'm 
I find that to be very inspiring. Well, you can just see the um, the difference of the pop this year has just been off the charts, and I've started working it. But you know, one thing that you said the other day that really hit me hard was you can let that go too long. Then all of a sudden, you've gotten into a different problem. Yeah. So it's timing and observation and all that, and that's the fun part of bonsai. Really, is yeah. you know that challenge that we're given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I've seen so many trees hit that moment where they're ready to be worked, and it's not a moment like a week or a day. It's a moment like anytime this year we're ready, yeah, yeah. and then you What's don't up? do it, and they're <laughs> like, "Well, fuck you, then." You yeah. know, or then it's I don't even think it's out of malice. It's just like we yeah. had our moment. You. You could have brought everything into balance, and now I'm left to my own devices, and that's not always favorable. Yeah. But there's also also research, and I I speak specifically about conifers and and even more specifically about junipers, because I think of junipers as being the first to kind of give you the middle finger when you don't do what they want you to do. Um, But but, uh, there's some research around trees and plants in general growing too rapidly and too vigorously uh and those becoming the trees that are susceptible sure to issue yeah you know and it's not because of chemical fertilization although that can cause trees to go grow too rapidly and will uh potentially negatively impact them in the long run uh but but plants it's almost like you know nature that perfect system has has really intelligent mechanisms and with too much foyer productivity in domestic cultivation plants actually stop producing the things that repel insects they stop producing phytocides uh-huh uh because uh, because of this I, I i'm guessing you know and i'm anthropomorphizing a little bit but the resources being prioritized to foyer production right Right, and speed. Sure, and, and and if you think about common fertilization practices exacerbating that and increasing the salt content in the foliar mass, which is very attractive to insects, mm-hmm. uh, then salt all this, lick, huh? yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like it's so delicious, you know. Yeah. Uh, suddenly you have you have some really radical things happening. Mm-hmm. So well, you know, going back to to Kingsville's with that, that's pretty sweet that the. The more you fertilize and everything, the more propensity that tree has to to just all mutate out on you. You know, you if you don't over fertilize, and especially with the chemical fertilizers, you know, if you're giving them a s- slow, steady dose of some organics, mm-hmm. they don't sport near as much as yeah. you know over pruning and um, over fertilization really does that so you see it in a lot of trees with bonsai you're wanting a different growth habit than speed yeah most most of the time speeds for um the landscape or for production even if it's bonsai yes yeah. it's, it's to get it there fast and it's not going to be a good tree if it does applied to bonsai anyway but you can see the trees handled with a more moderate approach and i feel like everybody comes out of the gate I certainly did. I came back from Japan and I just make trees grow, <laughs> you know, and it's just like uh, you get enough trees or you get into it long enough and you see how that pro- approach is not sustainable and you start saying, hey, I- I'm okay for things to grow more slowly. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, I'm okay if this doesn't hulk out every year. Like, it's getting old pruning this thing three times a year and now I right. got six of them instead of one. 
and now I got 30 of them instead of six, and now I got, you know, 200 of them, and it's like, oh my god, I gotta stop, I gotta slow the ship down, and that was really, that was really the narrative arc of Mirai, especially when you have raw material, Mm -hmm. which, let's just be honest, that's the lowest amount of effort you're ever gonna have to put into it, Right, is when it's raw. Because you put it in a bonsai container, you put a piece of wire on that thing, you have officially signed on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. Now you you are indebted to that tree, yeah. or at least you are an indentured servant. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then you get a bunch of them, and you get a bunch of them that have been pruned a lot and wired a lot and in really nice pots, and you say, I can't just not do the work on this thing, but there's so many of them now, and it's like, uh, that, that's a real... It's been a real, and then you, and then trying to find equilibrium in that, you know, going back to the discussion of focusing your energy and, and maybe only a chunk of trees are going to show their peak that year. And you right. accept that as a part of the bonsai practice. It I, makes it a lot more manageable for one thing. You know, it's, um, my, my teacher Felton had a, a thing where he looked at people's trees that they brought in for him to work on and, and, uh. He'd look at a tree and, I mean, it'd be hacked all up and scars and they reinvented the, the line so many times and stuff. And his comment was always, you need to get more trees. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So that you're not tempted to cut any more off or yeah. fiddle or, you know, pedaddle on the tree. You can put too much love into it if you call that love. Yeah. 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 It's, um, Yeah. It's uh, it's it's such a sweet science. It's a fine balance. What a what a wonderful journey, though. It's incredible because you're never gonna know it all. No. You're never gonna know it all. You're never gonna well, do it right. Well, you know the biggest mistake I see in Bones Eyes when you think you've learned everything and you stop paying attention and learning. Yeah. I mean, it's it's never gonna stop. You know, you you want to keep growing. Yeah. So it's we learn from everybody and you might as well keep going with it because it's changing and the better one side gets, you know, the better this gets Mm -hmm. and just keeps going back and forth. And, um, again, I I, I keep just loving riding the wave of what bonsai in North America is doing right now, because I'm learning so fast. It's incredible. I mean, it's just off the, it's incredible how fast things are happening right now. Interesting. The education is just, I mean, I wasted 50 years. Why didn't I just start now? <laughs> no. no, but, you know, it's it's sort of like time is starting to fly into just all the education. I keep changing things. Even the way I look at containers now, the pots, you know, yeah. that, that's morphing way out of the thing. It's just – it. It's got to feel good to me, and but look good at the same time. And why not? And why not play? You know, like I think some of the evolution in bonsai in North America is just the unbuttoning the top button, you know, yeah. loosening the tie a little bit and being like, let's, you know, have another beer or let's just, you know, let's take let's take the reins off different. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, let's have a little bit more fun or something. Yeah. I don't know, you know, and I understand in the beginning – Certainly, in the beginning, you're just trying to you just trying to find you catch Understand. your bearings. Yeah. Can I do that? I don't die on me, please, Jesus! You're turning yellow. What the hell? You know, and it's like I wire half the branches, three quarter, whole tree died. Now shit, I chopped all the roots. Get over here. No, over there. Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> it's it's that whole thing. Yeah. 
and I understand that. But man, once you can, once you can really enjoy it, that's that's when it gets fun. Yes, and I, and it just comes back to seeing a garden that's well patinaed. That's uh, that you you see. I've never heard that put that way. I mean, that's very interesting for that concept mm. having a garden patinaed. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a little bit of funk on the structure. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's too 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 high and tight. It's hard to immerse yourself in that system and space. There's yeah. there is a finite balance to to maintenance with intention and with an understanding. It, 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 there is a, a a factor and an aesthetic of collaboration versus control. And that's what I saw in your space. That was really the that was really the that was the 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 turning point for me. Well, it's good to hear. I'm getting ready to have another um, type of fun with the garden and everything. I'm starting to I've amass the stones, and I'm I'm going to start building some walls and creating just a different kind of look to the garden. Cool. And you know what? What started it all? No. Um, besides just being dumb not to have done it since I had the background and everything, but. My landscape cloth is starting to um, deteriorate, so I've got the. Do I spend the time on replacing that, or do I build over the top of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe the oh. same amount of work. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So go forward, young man. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. So you know, it's it's morphing. So cleaning it up, losing a little of the landscape cloth patina and put it into something else but it's a, a different spirit i mean yeah. those stones all have a soul to them that the landscape cloth does not possess unfortunately yeah. the landscape cloth yeah <laughs> yeah landscape cloth having a soul would be a bummer yeah. that would really cheapen uh well there is like something, and I don't know how you think about your garden in terms of what happens. What happens when you're not able to maintain it? What happens when you and Charlie are are at a point where, or even after you and Charlie are gone, what happens to your garden? And those those improvements, stone is pretty durable. Stone stone is a timeless material. It sure is. Yeah, and the, those are the things that you put in that effort. It, it it it's going going to last. It is going to last, and you know, if somebody comes in and destroys it, that's up to them. But you know, it's all the process, the journey of doing that. You know, I, that's going to be fun for me to do, and it's going to make me think in a different way for a while. And and still, the trees are going to relate to it because I've got to build things in a way that that helps the trees themselves, both in the way they look and and really the way they grow because mm-hmm. you're you're changing their environment kind of got to ask them permission on what you're going to do yeah yeah so, ask them permission hmm. they run the show <laughs> wonderful perspective rodney man it's good to talk to you it's good to have you out at mariah it's good to hang it's yeah. good to see you work it's been great it's good to learn from you i really it's really... good to learn from you i pay attention Remember uh, I, that fly on the wall that's uh well maybe know, not here there's uh, don't listen to don't listen too closely <laughs> no it's been it's been really fun uh and it's it, time is going by very very quickly it we've really we're already is. two days in we got one more yeah but uh what but are we gonna do tomorrow we're gonna do what we do every day batman <laughs> yeah you know have some fun that's right we're gonna do some bonsai 
Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been with you in the workshop. I apologize. It's uh, you come at a time of yet another transition at Mirai. Hey, so you got to captain. Got to captain. Fun to watch. Captain the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. Got a good team again. Yeah, it's it's been being that person that can listen to everything and still work in my own zone. It's it's been you know I'm impressed. I'll put it that way. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to have you, and it's wonderful to share. I feel like it's uh. I feel like it's a, a gesture of, of gratitude because you you know you opened your place to me and it really has inspired a lot of what's happened oh here. Gosh, so that, that means a lot. It well, really does. Well, thank you. It meant a lot to me too. So, but uh, let's have another good day. All right. All right. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> Thanks, Rodney. All right.